Welcome to this Bodyweight Roundtable. We are joined today by Joshua Naderman, a qualified medical practitioner and co-founder of Labcoat Fitness that has long been on the gymnastic strength training scene. Yad Muhammad, he is also a co-founder of Labcoat Fitness, a gymnastic strength athlete and a medical student. Philip Chubb, aka The Mindful Mover on Instagram. He has a wealth of knowledge in the bodyweight, weightlifting and mobility scene, as well as being a near lifelong practitioner of martial arts. Philip runs an online coaching business with his wife, Martina. And lastly, Tom Merrick, aka The Bodyweight Warrior on YouTube and Instagram. He's an avid practitioner of gymnastic strength, hand balancing and mobility training and uses his experience to help others explore these movements and make them more accessible. Welcome gentlemen. And I wanna start with this question. What do you guys see as a difference between bodyweight training, gymnastic strength training for general fitness and what separates that from the people that do it to become elite competitors? And we'll start with Phil. Oh, thank you. So <laughs> I think the difference is when you are working with people who are trying to achieve the absolute highest, like world record breaking, Olympics, uh, gold medal competitions, those sorts of things, your goal now becomes to squeeze every single bit of performance out of that person, no matter what, no matter what cost, no matter what they have to give up. It's about winning the gold medal, no matter what. So when you are working with someone like that, your programming will have to shift at that point to try to emphasize that as best as you can. And it's really hard to know those sorts of things in every single case because everyone's different. Everyone's got different recovery abilities and life is different for everyone, of course, et cetera, et cetera. With someone who's like, no, in general fitness, you don't have to worry about that as much. They're just trying to get stronger, look good, do some cool skills, and uh, generally have, like, you know, look good naked, that kind of thing. So the, the bar for perfection is set a lot lower when you work with that kind of person. Hmm. Tom, what do you think? Yeah, I, I generally agree with that. I think the focus is basically on either when you're programming something, it's like you're either focusing on adherence for the person who just is doing it generally. So it's like, how can you make something that somebody's going to stick to and enjoy doing? And then for somebody who wants to be like absolute peak top, it's more about what's going to, you know, they're, they're prepared to make the sacrifice that's needed to get to that point. So it's just it ends up being two completely different ends of the spectrum, but also much of the same mm. thing. Yeah, do you think it's more about, or anyone can jump in here, do you think it's more about lowering your expectations if you're a general fitness practitioner using bodyweight strength? <laughs> I was just about to add Or that. do you think that <laughs> it is simply just doing everything, everything less? So kind of to summarize that, if you're a general fitness practitioner, is it about doing everything less uh difficulty less training frequency less or is it just about scaling your expectations of what you can get out of your training and still be training say four or five days a week well that, that's a very interesting question um and i think something i always do when i have an athlete that i train or when i just train myself is I look at the athlete and i ask them hey what do you want to do and how much are you prepared to sacrifice you know, because it's as simple as that. If, if they want to become the best, 
whether they're a, are a professional or not, if they want to become the best, they want to become the best. And I will try my best to make them the best. And uh, I need to know how much time they have. If they only have three days a week, well, the expectations need to be lower then. You know? So it depends sort of on how much time do they have and how, much, how good are they willing to become. And based on that, we need to set expectations. So these expectations are something you need to be very transparent about. So you can't just have an, 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 an athlete come and be like, hey, you'll get your full plunge in one year. It doesn't <laughs> work like that. You need to know, you need to know. And, and that's also what Philip sort of pointed at. Um, you, it's different per person. It uh, also depends on... You're telling me Instagram Yeah, Instagram has been lying. I'm sorry. It's very unlikely. It's all about making people feel like you're going to give them whatever they ask for, right? Like so it seems. But the truth is that you know a good a, a good per a, a good coach, whatever you want to call the person, is going to figure out what that person's life is like and fit themselves into what that person wants to dedicate to their fitness. And that doesn't have to be the same all the time. It can adjust based on the time of the year or from one year to the next. If they have two jobs versus one job, I mean, you know, and you do have to change kind of expectations. And it's, but, but only in the sense that, um, you know, like I never know what somebody's going to accomplish until they show me. You know, there are people who do better on four days a week, even at the Olympic level, than the majority who work six or seven days a week. And so you never really know until you find out with them. And I think that a lot of us historically have kind of made the mistake of doing too much at first rather than starting low and working up. Like you kind of have to figure out what somebody's boundaries are early on if they have high expectations for themselves. If they don't, you really could just kind of have to figure out what is going to get results from them and that's usually pretty easy and then from there you know they can just kind of keep working with that and um, they may go through a period where they decide to figure it out but I think the challenge with working with regular people is different from the challenge of working with like elite athletes because regular people have all these extra stressors you know we have more bills typically we have uh, less secure housing, at least in most countries. Um, we have, you know, we don't really necessarily know where our paycheck's coming from because we're not a pro athlete. Um, we don't have like that contract in the economy as recent events have shown us is a lot more changeable than we like to believe. And, you know, we, we usually don't have a whole lot of money in the bank. So like there's all these stresses that are on and you have to meal prep. You don't have like the cook who's doing it for the team. You don't have like physical therapists and this and that and the other. There's no support staff. It's like you, your online coach or your in-person coach or whatever. And like McDonald's fast food, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's mm. a little bit of an over, you know, it's not totally true, but like you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And so the like, challenge is to how, figure out how about what that staying means. on. Sorry, Josh, how, how about staying on that? topic of expectations we can yeah we can always look at any sport or anything and see that different people are gonna have different results that's just how it is it can be in any sport but i think all of us can acknowledge that that is never more true for body weight training in that there's other there's more variables that are impacting each individual's uh success or progression like just looking at something like the planche not only is it are you an elite athlete or are you just general practitioner? 
but it's also your height. It's also how long your arms are to your torso. Um, Tom, I mean, how you can you... say the same thing for powerlifting, really. You know, body segmental differences make the difference between a championship bencher and a championship deadlifter, you know. Um, but, you know, so yeah. I think that applies to a but lot of But this is the body weight round table, Josh. About. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that if you want to, if you want to try and demarcate uh, body weight training as having, like, even more challenges, I, I don't know that that's true, at least not for the basic strength part. For skills and for, like, street workout competition, I do think that that's true. For sure. So I think the more you get into it, the the more that you start getting into a lot more fine motor stuff, um, especially with more advanced things. I think for basic strength, I don't know that it's that much different, you know, because the way that you approach getting results is really not fundamentally different. You're just using different exercises to do it. Mm. Tom, how have you ran into issues or how have you managed clients' expectations in terms of just different having different bodies heights weights just accept your garbage as Mikhail would say and expect nothing and then you can't be disappointed hey, that's a good approach <laughs> not gonna lie <laughs> that's a good approach it works because I mean you were like Tom and no I think I'd always I'd always just I'd always say like 18 months would be a reasonable expectation that I would set to people like Whatever you think you're going to do, give it 18 months and then you will probably see some progress towards it. I'm not going to say you're going to get it, but like that's kind of the time frame you want to be thinking about. Like you don't want to be thinking about what you can be doing for the next three to six months. Like, okay, what am I going to do for the next year plus? How about if someone comes to you with, say, a goal like full planche, a gold medal, a, um, I don't know, a 300 kilo back squat? Are you immediately managing like sticking with that bodyweight example but are you coaching them towards that or are you going no pull it back tuck planche uh you know local competition yeah i, I, mean, I always give people yeah i would always give people like process goals um rather than like end goals so it's like figure out something some metric to put on it that's like a stepping stone towards the point because oftentimes with the planche or front lever or everything it's gonna be like several years before you you know, get close to that point and it's very uh, just demotivating when you've been working for something for three years and you're not at the point in which you want to get at but actually when you take a look at the the overall progress it's quite substantial even when it's just movement quality rather than like okay you're still doing a tuck front lever but the tuck front lever and the, what it used to look like and what it looks like now is way better so um, yeah it's, I don't know it's, it's, it's one of those ones that I've, to be honest with you the coach obviously can help, but I feel like a person tends to have that appreciation or not. You, if you get the sort of person who wants to do something quickly and they don't see the progress, they're just not going to stick with it because they don't they don't care for that. And they're going to go and they're going to bounce off to the next thing. But the people who do have the appreciation for the long-term process and sticking and being consistent, then they're the people who are going to stick around with you. Yeah. And Phil, we're, we know that you have a... Um... I mean, to simplify your approach to coaching, you like to try and simplify people's approach to training. Do you find that when people come to you with, say, a goal like an iron cross or a full planche or a Maltese, for example, are you trying to change their mind to bring them back to your big five? Or are you trying to adapt to what their goals are and help them along the way? So if people have a goal that will be basically achieved on the way there 
what I tell them is, look, there's two ways we can do this. One way, let's take like a muscle up, for example. It's like one way we can, we can do is we can work on things like dips. We can work on the muscle up transition and the false grip pull up, and you'll probably get the muscle up pretty soon. Or option two, we work on the big five. Uh, so the big five strength exercises that I, I talk about a lot. And you will make gains on all five of those exercises. Oh, and guess what? You'll turn around one day on your journey and be like, hey, a muscle up. I'll put that in my pocket and I'll walk over with it. So, and I tell people at that point, simply let me know which one you want to do. I find that most of the time, most people are like, I'll take the other route that gives me the free gains. Occasionally, I have a person who's like, well, I got a competition for like, you know, CrossFit or something like that. So I, I really need muscle up. So I'm like, okay, at that point, let's do the direct path because you're trying to win a competition that's a little bit different. I'm not going to make you go through the big five when your competition involves, you need to be able to do muscle ups. But most people who are like, you know, general people who just want to get stronger, look better, that kind of thing, a lot of them choose, okay, I'll take the route that maybe it's even a little bit longer, but over the course of the time, I'm going to turn around with like 10 times more gains. A lot of people choose that one. Yeah, I actually, in, in to a large part, I think that Philip has, you know, really hit on something pretty important that um, when when your basic strength is being done correctly, you tend to see really broad improvement across, I won't say across like every single thing, because like I know Philip had a great Instagram post about like the one arm handstand and stuff like there are certain things that have to be done directly. But when it comes to a lot of the strength oriented stuff, if you're getting stronger as a whole, you tend to make progress with without a whole lot of direct work. The direct work is really more like just proving to yourself that you're making progress rather than actually using it to make progress specifically. And I, I think that um, I think that's something that's really worth kind of marinating on, you know, because it changes the way that you approach things. And and we're we're also very big on you know trying to get people to understand that. Because it makes a difference. It takes away frustrations and you get to do, you know, so much more with with your body. And I think most people have fun with that. And and, and like Philip said, I, I agree. There's times when, you know, uh, depending on how far out someone is from a competition or something, um, you may need to get really specific. But I would say that that, I would agree with him that that's more of a, um, a, a like, targeted decision for a specific athlete and not a general, but not the best thing for the general public or even for athletes in general who don't have a competition just over the horizon you know like if they're two years out from their first competition there's no reason for them to be doing muscle up specific stuff like that, that makes yeah. absolutely no sense now i, th I think that's uh, uh, just a great example of of what of what josh and philip are talking about i myself haven't done much uh, specific one-on pull-up work uh, but I have been doing uh, weighted pull-ups. I have been wor working on my basic strength, like weighted push-ups, etc., and just all these things. And at one point, I decided to, hey, let's let's check out what my uh, one-arm pull-ups are like. Let's see how much I can do, and I could do nine, nine reps in a row. And the three years before, <laughs> I remember struggling with three. I was, yeah, I was struggling Thomas with three. Left the chat. My, my, yeah, I'm, I'm say like guys. <laughs> no, but but my point with this is, I I hadn't done specific work. But I, in the meantime, I was progressing in the in our. So we don't have the big five, Philip. We have 
like more like a big six or seven. So we have a few a few uh, lifts that we focus on. Uh, so we have like vertical push, vert- horizontal push, or, but yeah, it's sort of the same like approach. Four, four main movement planes. Yeah, like yeah. It's like horizontal push, horizontal pull, vertical push, uh, vertical right. pull for the upper you know, body. And then yeah. people can, can choose I, different can exercises based on what here. works best yeah? for them. It's Where pretty similar, would you honestly. Fit the dip into vertical or horizontal push. Okay, wait. So before before Josh that... before Josh gets into it, I'll just drop my. Oh my so, god. So so this this gets complicated. There's a lot of uh, emotions in this one. So, um, depending on how you do your dips, and I actually have to, I can, I could actually show you dips here, but I'll, I'll just, I'll, in the sake, for the sake of the audience listeners, I'll just talk about it. Depending on how you do your dip, it ch- changes the exercise. So if you lean forward a little bit, you can, and if you look at the movement, it sort of looks like a decline bi- uh, bench press, you know, it's more close to that movement. So if you do a dip like that, it's sort of, it's more towards the horizontal press, uh, uh area. So I would consider it a horizontal press. But is it the best exercise for your horizontal press um, exercise selection? I would say no. I'm a much bigger fan of uh, weighted push-ups. But the problem with weighted push-ups is it gets very impractical after a while. After a while, it's really hard to load that without having anyone with you. And most of the time, I train alone. So I decided for myself, either I do flat bench press or I do dips and flat bench or incline bench press, which is also a great one. But I decided on dipping for this period because um, it just feels good. And I felt like some doing something new. I was kind of tired of incline bench pressing. So yeah, sometimes novelty is a great reason to change an exercise because it makes the, it makes the workouts more fun. And then um, it might not be the greatest exercise because dips do have some uh, cons to it. But uh, in my case, it's working out. Does that answer your question? I just thought I'd throw that one out there because yeah, 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 yeah. it's just one of those ones that I think it got chucked in my Facebook group recently and there was like a hundred comments on it of people arguing whether the dip was vertical or horizontal. Yeah, and I, w- I was like, oh. I would, I would yeah. say it's horizontal. I would say horizontal I, yeah. as well. And like the way that I break it down is that the dip is not really going to help you lift something up over your head and it's not going to do a whole <laughs> lot for your overhead like, press other than this? like tricep strength. Yeah. And the other, c- because you're not doing any upward scapular <laughs> rotation. You know, the, the, the <laughs> biggest difference between, like, what Yad is doing, which is going to be more of... Okay, now he's just showing off. But <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, so he, he mentioned you can change the focus between, like, triceps right. and chest. Right. But either yeah. way, you're, you're not really doing a whole lot for upper traps. You're not doing a whole lot for lower traps. You're not doing a whole lot for, like the upward rotation and sort of the upper half of serratus anterior and that's kind of getting into details that i don't really like to talk about too much because i think they derail people into thinking the wrong way um but for a technical discussion like that's that's sort of the way that i look at it and um even though your body is moving up and down the muscles that you're really developing and the motor pattern that you're developing is really just a variant of a decline press and that's okay like that doesn't make it a bad exercise you know i loved dips i mean i wasn't saying it was bad i was just just like the classification of it yeah yeah but there are a lot of people who do say it's bad so it is it is interesting though that you know people get so emotional over it I think one thing that I like about all you guys is at, and at one point in time, at least once for all of you, I've seen you guys change your mind in terms of what is optimal for training. And whilst that seems logical to do, I think you can find a lot of people that don't do that. They stay set in their ways. And 
whilst all of us found body weight training as trainees, practitioners, all of us have gone on to coach as well. So I wanted to ask, starting with Phil, as a coach and as a trainee, what have been the biggest mistakes that you've made as a trainee and a coach? And what have you done to, if you could go back, how would you fix them? Uh, I think I I I missed part of the question. As a coach and as a trainee, can, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, as a coach and a trainee, what have been your biggest mistakes that you've made and what would you change or fix if you could go back? So I would get a time machine and I would go back in time and find myself and slap myself across the face for thinking that more work automatically equaled more results. If I could go back and change that, like all my programming would change. Like I think if I could even just go back and tell myself, hey, you know, think about like Wolverine who can like heal instantaneously. He could probably like, you know, work out and then adapt to his workout and then go work out again five minutes later and adapt to that. And then like in a, a five minutes time, he's able to squat. <laughs> it's like walking around as a giant bicep with legs. <laughs> but, but then at the same time, you know, when you think about it, it would be kind of awesome, right? But then it would kind of suck because you would re- reach your genetic limit in like a day, you know? Like then you're no more training. You're done. <laughs> but, but I I think <laughs> I think if I could like go back and tell myself that like it's not about like how more is better. It's like what you can recover from and get back in the gym and train again. Now now we're talking. But for a lot of people, that amount is not as high as they think it is. Especially just like as Josh mentioned, most general people have. You know, a job that requires 40 hours a week or more and then bills that, you know, are maybe getting paid, maybe aren't getting paid, especially during this time. They've got worries. They've got kids. They've got like, you know, a, a spouse or two or three uh, different like no side people they're working with trying to keep from finding each other like it, the list goes on there's so much stress most side chicks are really stressful <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard it's hard it's hard stuff so i think that that's probably the problem i would i would go back and tell myself like keep recovery in mind more is not better if you can't recover from it if it just breaks you down and kills you mm-hmm. and you get you take a trip before the pain train more doesn't help at that point more slows you down yeah rec- recovery is so underestimated dude which is a whole different conversation but <laughs> does anyone have any mistakes they've made that don't involve training hard? I did the same thing. Like when I was in, I, think I, was in university, I was, yeah, I was like, I was training like six days a week, three hours a day. And now I do like maybe, I don't know, a quarter of that. And I'm getting better progress than I did then. And I'm not injured. It's, it's like, ah, it's the no brainer. Uh, I feel like, um, consistency was very underrated and underrated by people because it's usually a cheap sell in the fitness industry. Like, oh look, a different exercise with some weird twist to it. It looks good for Instagram or something, but actually in practicality reasons, it's, it's, it's useless. It's like, I used to write myself a new program every week just because I liked writing programs, <laughs> but I made no progress because I didn't do anything for a consistent enough period. I was just, on that variability hype so yeah if just choose something and stick to it mm-hmm. for a while at least i have a um i have a similar experience with the stronger bodyweight workout series two so the second series uh niall wilson helped to 
put the program together and it was so much training and there was also heaps of variety packed into that as well so there was just so much going on every week and by the end of the 12 weeks i had a forearm injury and a cold and a cough developing <laughs> but i have to say with that program i made a lot of progress but the thing is i think i could have made as significant progress with less training as well but i haven't i mean i haven't tested the same goals with less training but i can't knock that more training was completely ineffective because i definitely did get stronger i got better but i'm skeptical as to whether that much is what's needed to make the gains it's it's really hard to zero in if you haven't done kind of a um a personal assessment of like you know sort of a, a very regimented volume increase from week to week so that you can figure out when is my performance starting to really get impacted day after day like everybody has a bad day but if you finish your week and start the next week and you still suck and you're not getting any better and you're like slipping you have crossed a threshold that you should not cross that that threshold is the point at which that should be the new endpoint and so then you stretch the programming out so that you know you you then do that over another whatever sounds best to you six weeks eight weeks four weeks i don't care um and and then you do the same thing again so that you start zeroing in on what your the kind of recovery that your lifestyle can actually support whatever whatever you're doing and that way you learn a lot about yourself and you can figure out okay how do i pack this work in without doing too much and that's a tough thing to do because it takes time you know I mean, you, you have to figure that that probably would take a minimum of two to three cycles. I expect people, if they're really, like, we try to do something like that with with the way that we approach things. And my, my I, I tend to expect it to take about six months for people to kind of really figure out on both a volume side and an intensity side what their boundaries are. You know, the, the, the goal is that we try and actively coach, say, okay, you've got to, this is when you stop now. I don't care that you're not on week six or whatever. This is this is now uh, you're you're not feeling right. So I just want you to maybe repeat, like like take one step back and repeat that week, and you should not feel any worse. You know, if you if if they're insisting on finishing like the six week cycle or whatever. If not then, you know, I'd rather have them just deload there for a couple of days to a week and then start over on week one again. And this time, whatever that week four or five or whatever it is where they went too far, at that point, that should be their new week six volume. And they should just stretch that out so that it takes them six weeks to reach that point. Because that way, they are not going too far, but they're they're sort of getting to that kind of they'll be moving a little bit past like their maximum adaptive volume but they won't be going to the point where they're really hitting a negative in a sense does that make sense because that's not necessary you don't have to be in a hole in, in order to make progress that actually is counterproductive but it's really hard to uh to to find that on your own and that's where all like you know having somebody who's helping you really makes a big difference I've actually found that trying to just... Oh, sorry, go on, you Oh, okay. I was going to say that... I was going to say that... I was going to say that... Keep going. 
It's far too British. Go on. After you, good sir, you go first. Oh, so like piggybacking off what Zod said, I feel like that's like a great approach. Like you, you try a mount and you kind of test and see what amount is needed. You know where's where's better. Play around with it. But I feel like a lot of times with like you know people when they write their own programs, like you no know, trainees. They don't want to do that amount and find what that amount is. It's almost like a lot of people have that kind of anxiety of missing, of testing for even one week. It's like, no, I can't waste a single week, a single cycle on possibly not making gains. So I'm just going to jump right to like 10 sets of every exercise to ensure (laughs) that I gain. You know what I mean? I I feel like that testing is like oftentimes missing which is i think one of the reasons why coaching can be so valuable just to have someone sit there and be like look we're gonna test this i know it's scary in the short run in the long run you'll be really happy you did but if you don't do it you're gonna jump into doing a hundred sets per week right away because you've got fomo and anxiety and then you're gonna get hurt and then you're gonna be like out of in pain for the rest of your life you know that kind of thing hmm. how about you yeah I, I think that or, that kind of coaching waiting, is really 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 important jump in now I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Tom, I was going to say that I feel like, I, I completely agree, but I feel like sticking to the re, the weak structure is the issue. So if, for example, like, you know, there's a six-week phase, and in that phase there's like, okay, maybe uh, 12 workouts that you're going to repeat. Sometimes, rather than trying to stick to the week, if you just feel like you're under-recovered and you've got too much volume, I just, like, take an extra day of rest. So then, you know... And, and maybe a six-week program actually ends up lasting like seven and a half, eight weeks. It's, it's more about the repeats of the sessions and the adequate rest in between. And it kind of yes. almost, when I say this to some people, like they come back to me at different points and they almost find that personal amount of volume naturally, not through changing how much they're doing per session, but more changing the amount of time between sessions and just being like, okay, you don't have to do this on a Monday. You can do this whenever you're next feeling recovered enough to, to handle it. That's a pretty cool approach. Love that. Yeah, I love that. You keep all the other variables the same. You just kind of like add more rest days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. I use that same okay, approach. Not, I, I like, yeah. Sorry, mate. You cut, yard, you cut out. Yard. Have you had any? Um, have you had any uh, major mistakes in terms of coaching that, if you could go back and change, you would do, or do uh, you just kind of look at that? Those mistakes is trial and error as to becoming a better man. mentor, better coach. Well. Let's take me, for example, uh, because I'm better at coaching other people than coaching myself. Mm. Um, <laughs> so uh, I've had several occasions where, so often in our, in, in our programming, we have periods where we do boring work, you know, basic strength. And then basically uh, we have this golden era within the year, uh, which is the skill cycle era. And during this period, it's like I, you can always go scroll through my Instagram. You'll see me like doing dips, 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 Maltese, dips, 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 Victoria. Like it's, it's like, that, that's when I start, that's when I'm in my skill area. And during the skill area, that's when I suddenly start unlocking my skills again. So my full planch is back again. And then uh, I'm, I'm starting to mess around with like planch presses, etc. During that period, it's always been very hard for myself to not stick to the program. You know, I always look at the program, I see three holes, but the third hole was so good. So I got to add a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and an eighth. And you keep adding and adding and adding. And it's that it's basically you get super excited. And this has happened multiple times in my training because I've been training for almost 10 years now. 
And I remember this happening in my third year, in fourth and sixth year. Those were when I had huge strength peaks. And then in my eighth year, I didn't do that anymore. <laughs> I, in my eighth year, I was actually, for the first time, I was like, no, nah, I'm good. And now, now I'm around my 10th year. Uh, and um, yeah, even if I hit a, like a PR uh, and I know I can get a better one at the next set, I just stick to the program. And I feel like that's my always been my biggest mistake is not sticking to the program because I get so excited. And one of the things that's very difficult for me, and I feel like some people in the calisthenics uh, world also have this, is I love working out. I love it so much that I hate resting. I hate it so much. I know that I could do less work and get maybe, like, I know adding a day won't probably get me more gains or maybe even diminishing returns. But, dude, I get to work out an extra day, which has always been another difficult thing for me because... At the end of the day, for me, it's never been about the results. It's been about the workouts. I I just love working out. So a solution that I've come up with is I I take the the volume and rather than doing them over four days, I just spread them out through six seven days. So it's 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 short bursts of workouts, but I get to look forward to something every day and I get to have structure in my day, and that's been something that has been working really well for me. So rather than four days i do now six seven days of small little workouts little bites <laughs> right but the key is not using those days to actually do more total work yeah it sucks yeah <laughs> yeah it was no, and you're right i think the last time that you really you, you, one of the so one of the one of my favorite things over the years has been like watching people find those moments where they're like oh yeah it is okay to never do more than the program says like yeah you know, 2020. And I remember that last time you got excited because you were like, "Oh my God, I can just plunge like any time I want." This is bananas. I don't understand. Yeah, I was, I was, so I was planch spamming, and then you hurt yourself. <laughs> I was planch spamming. I was literally walking outside and be like, "Planch!" And I just, I planched everywhere. I planched for people. Yeah, it was bad. It was a bad idea. But um, I must say, 2020 was the only year I had zero injuries, and it's also the year. Uh, the only thing that happened was I, I caught COVID, which that's the only thing that affected my training. But otherwise, 2020, zero injuries and the year where I did the most stressful movements, like the, the hardest movements I've ever done. So I'm kind of proud of that. Like, I'm finally getting there, guys. It took me 10 years, but uh, <laughs> like, fuck. Yeah, but hey, it's, that's... Can, a, um, yeah, I'll go on. Yeah, but that's no, a struggle. My, my that's biggest, a struggle. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it I is. was going to use this it opportunity is. to... Oh, did you have something to say, Tom? No, I was just agreeing. Okay. I'm going to use this opportunity to insert the question I wanted to ask since I did the podcast with Josh. Um, and it could be like a one-minute conversation because I don't know how much experience any of us have in researching this or being around people. But PEDs or performance-enhancing drugs in calisthenics, have you guys got any thoughts on that if even performance enhancing drugs like anabolic steroids would help to get people to body weight skills faster um like is clambuterol good for maltese and is uh trenbuterol good for the victorian <laughs> well son sit down what <laughs> and, <laughs> let me tell you one, one, of the, him, one of the scariest things josh, about those who i wanted to ask initially let's put it to josh first your thoughts on peds and calisthenics effective not effective elaborate well 
I, I think that I think you have a couple of problems um, with just sort of boxing it in one. I mean, I think that just like in any other scenario, they're going to do what they say they're going to do, and you're going to get stronger faster. Um, I think that when you're doing a lot of high leverage work, meaning things where your body is not in really disadvantaged positions, um, that's a little bit less of a problem. But it's really common for people who take steroids, for especially for extended periods of time, to uh, have muscle tears and uh, some tendon issues. And one of the reasons for that is that you do have some, um, and I'm not going to like dive, I'm going to try not to dive like neck deep into the science and just sort of toe in it, but like you're changing gene expression in all of your body tissues. And one of the things that changes is that you do get some uh, suppression of some um, of the collagen uh, subchains. So like, I forget, I think it's like, 1A or 1B or something like that. One, one of the uh, one, one of the components of type 1 collagen. <laughs> you're struggling. Yeah. That's too deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can't Sorry. remember, here's that's the too deep. Your tenant, so here's the problem. So so here let me let me let me sum it up. The issue is that you run the risk of developing uh, muscles that are getting stronger with tendons that are proportionally not getting as strong. It's not so much that you're making your tendons weaker, but you're putting things out of balance because your muscles in your tendon experience the exact same forces every time you do anything. But when you're changing your when you're increasing your muscles ability to adapt to things and it's all that tissue is forming, we'll just say correctly, but you're also enhancing um, tendon formation, but it's not being done quite as, the way that it used to be, you can run into some problems. Um, and, and then there, we, you know, um, that's my biggest concern in terms of injuries. I, I think there's, if you're not, if you're not getting a lot of money, there's a lot of medical risk that comes with um, taking steroids, especially when you cannot have a doctor supervising you. Um, you know, people don't realize that after like six months, most people have like these weird vascular formations in their livers that can rupture if you get into a car accident. They go away most of the time if you're off for, you know, a while. But um, it's more than just cholesterol and heart disease. You're, you're changing a lot of things. You're making it, you know, a little bit easier to bleed. You're, you're having a lot of things go on that... Um, it's really hard to know who's who. I mean, it's not like we're going in and getting like liver ultrasounds every six months or anything. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's um, and it, so so I think that there's because people don't really know what like all the things that steroids can do, both positive and negative. They don't really understand that like if you can basically get everything you want without them, why would you use them? You know what I mean? So like if you've got millions of dollars on the line and you're going in the NFL and you're up against genetic elites and like 40% of them or whatever are using something and you are going to need to do something to keep up with them and you're going to make an extra $18 million over the next four years, I can see why you would do it. But I don't see why you would do it just because you want to be stronger than the person next to you in the gym or because uh, you think that the guy in the Instagram magazine with like man. 400 extra veins on their forearm just... <laughs> You want to, you know what I mean? Like, I get that people get these weird uh, mental images of what they could be and what's cool, but I think you have to take a step back and and look at the sort of safety profile too and say, is it worth it? Yeah, you I know, mean, I, I, I don't I think that they're super common in body weight said, stuff. I don't know about street workout. I wonder a lot because yeah. you occasionally see these people who come from nowhere and they're around for a couple of years and then they're gone. Like, what happened? Yeah. 
I don't Every know. day was heart day, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I really think because there's some people who just get strong so fast, and like I was, my body always adapted really well. And kind of looking at the old, um, like that that last question, like my biggest mistake, not so much even doing too much because I was pretty good about knowing my limits, so to speak. But I always stayed at them, and that was a big mistake. I never gave myself like the time off and I never really organized my training. I didn't have like the knowledge and the experience that I have now. And and I wish that I had done better with that. But I'm I'm glad that I never screwed around with like any of the performance enhancing stuff. I thought about it. I mean, I think that anybody who says they haven't thought about it, there's there's a fair number of people who are telling the truth, but there's a fair number who are lying to you because they're embarrassed that they thought about it at some point. And there's a lot of lies. There's these websites. I got kicked off of one of their Facebooks a while ago because, um, you know, they're like, these aren't steroids, but they work just like steroids. And I'm like, listen, man, if I put a sticker over the word, uh, over the letter T and tell you this is an Oyota, not a Toyota until you take the sticker off, bro, I'm lying to your face. I'm lying to you. And that's what they're doing. They're selling steroids that just have a non-registered chemical structure until their liver hits it. And then it's a steroid. It's a steroid. You know, it has all the um, risks. If if I can just cut in there, Josh, I think even though Tom was joking before saying about Instagram, uh, one thing I've found interesting is that there is like clout to be gained from being the best in terms of calisthenics and body weight. Yet, and and yeah, being but, lean, being lean because that. No. <laughs> yeah. What was that? Okay. But yeah, Mecha Godzilla. Just, just to just to uh, hop in a little bit, uh, you know, you can utilize steroids in different ways. Of course, you know, it really depends on how much you're using and when you're using it in your cycles. So, uh, for example, if if you are um, in your hypertrophy cycle, you know, PADs will help a lot. As a calisthenics athlete, because that was the question. Like, will will uh, using steroids enhance your calisthenics skills? Yeah, if you use it smartly, yeah. And if you make sure that you account for connective tissue, that that it takes a bit longer in in like proportion to the the muscles uh, growing. Yeah, if you take all that into consideration, uh, people who do take steroids will have a super big advantage over the people who don't. But again, like Josh mentioned, there are a lot of cons to it too. But it also depends on how much you use. That's which is another thing. So it's uh, the the amount is also very very important. And I know a lot of calisthenics athletes um, use them and don't talk about them using. Them. But some of them are just super super obvious. I'm not gonna mention names. But some I was are just gonna say. Obvious. <laughs> like, I don't get like. Come on, dude. If you get. <laughs> If you're going to use and, and then some like people steroids are freaks. or performance hands drugs, just own the fact that you're going to use it. Just, just R- stay like, right. I'm on some gear. Like, that's not, I don't find that, um, like if, if, I find it worse if you lie about using gear and you're clearly using gear. <laughs> I have deceiving. more respect for the person if deceiving. they're like, I'm taking gear, but I'm still, a, I'm still a beast. I'm yeah. like, yeah, you're a beast. Well, but it's deceiving, uh, if, even, well, especially if you're selling a program, then you're a shithead. Then I don't have respect for you. Because if you're selling a program and you are like marketing with the idea that this body is is you know created with this program, then fuck you. <laughs> like that's not cool. Yeah, no, yeah, but that's not true. But if you're just, you know, if you're using steroids and you don't want to talk about it and you just you're not selling anything, you're just doing your thing, yeah, okay. I, I can see that. I, you don't have to tell us. I get it. Cause I 
that that makes sense. But if you're selling program, dude, you fuck you. <laughs> like that's that's not okay. Like I'm I'm not I'm not okay with that because that's just deceiving. You're just not selling uh, what you're selling. No. Hmm. Don't you think the tricky thing is though, because they're, they're illegal. Like yeah. Yes, yes, you should just be honest. But I think there's a, a not just a taboo, but a certain that's legal ramification yeah. if you were yeah. just like I'm openly taking. Well, there are smart ways to go around that. Well, something I saw. Um, Mike Isertel, I don't know if you guys know him, uh, but he super smart, smart guy. He's about my height, but he's 100 kilos. I'm I'm like 63 something. I'm, I'm by the way, I'm 167. He's like a foot wider than Yad. Yeah, he's literally a foot it's wider crazy. than me. This guy. So in his comment section, you'll see many people asking, like, "Are you on gear?" Like everyone knows, of course, you can't be that size. But what he always answers is, "I can't tell. I can't tell you." Which is basically yeah, saying, or, or, or he responds like, yes. with, roids are he's illegal. He's open about it. Like, mm. yeah, and then so everyone's like, oh, okay, okay, cool, thanks. Like, yes, true. we take special <laughs> sports supplements, and, you know, like yeah. when he's talking about himself and, you know, some other athletes just, and stuff. Just taking and, BCAs, um, that's it. You know, who, who are self-reporting, <laughs> like, yes, I, like, they crossed over to the enhanced realm, and, like, you know, after like 10 years of natural training and getting to a point where they're like, I'm probably just about maxed out, but I want to be bigger. And it's like, you know what? If that's what you want, then that's cool. Like, I don't have, I'm not trying to like low key shit on them. It's fine. I mean, they, they know the risks. They're smart people. They're using a lot less than other people, which doesn't necessarily make it safer. There's something called a class effect where just being exposed to something creates the risk. And then there's dose response and risks associated with that. And both of those play into it, you know, but they're, they're okay with those risks and they are probably doing what they can to monitor regularly, whether it's with private labs or, you know, like where they're just checking their cholesterol every three or six months with LabCorp or whatever, you know, um, they accept the risk. They're an individual. And it, I think it kind of sucks that a doctor can't supervise that because it's yes. illegal. I think a lot of people are getting hurt because of that, just because people got upset that their baseball players were taking steroids. Like, that's what it really was about. That's crazy to me. That's a terrible reason. No, that's, yeah. That's and even whole... if they were legal, I would, I would not suggest that people do them. But I would understand in certain situations, and I, I would really want to try and make sure they were safe. And if I saw a problem, I'd be like, yo, we need to put this on hold for like eight months. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're entering a bad spot here, and it's no good. But so I think I that's, this is the world. Before. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree there where it's like, I, I think it would probably go a lot better if like uh, they could actually be monitored by doctors and you might have, you know, people yes. not suffering such effects. Like, I mean, honestly, look, look, if you go to like the highest level of all these different sports, you're probably going to find some usage there. And honestly, I really don't like blame anybody for it at that level it's like if you, if that's how you put food on the table go ahead and honestly i think another thing too is like we the people watching our sports we have this like really like double standard for our athletes where it's like i want our records broken but i want you to do it cleanly and it's like <laughs> dude i don't care it's like i'm trying to yeah. see what the, what the most amazing human can do regardless of whatever they're on i, I don't care just Show me the the fastest hundred meter dash, the highest jump, whatever. So like you know, I, when it comes to that kind of stuff, like reaching the full levels, the highest level possible. Okay, me personally, and I think for like most of the people I would ever 
probably am ever going to run into training because, you know, I don't train like Olympic athletes. So, like, anybody I'm going to run into, I'm probably going to tell them, like, I like the things that steroids would take away. Like, for example, Josh mentioned that um, if you get into a car accident, you could rupture your liver. Like, I really like my ability to get into car accidents and not rupture my liver. And I'd like to I love that that's an ability. I'll take one of those. Some good free game. Phil's like, I've tested this, I know. I talk, you have to test things, you know, I said it on Instagram. I always test everything. I've been, I've been in two car accidents and my liver has never ruptured. So given that- Dude, there, he's like, walking the fucking talk. <laughs> Damn. There's, sorry, there's too much. Sorry, there's man. too much trade-off. <laughs> there's too much trade-off to me. Like it's not something I I think anybody should be touching if they're just like you know trying to make some gains and enjoy life. If you're trying to put food on the table at the highest elite level, and you're going to be at a significant disadvantage because everyone else is doing it, whatever. No, I don't judge there. But if you're at the you no, know, if you're just a normal person doing it, I'm like that's a lot of risk in my opinion for. Something that like you're not even going to get recognized or paid for, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and people have this illusion that like it's going to turn them into Superman or Superwoman or something, and it's like if you're not already elite, it's not going to magically make you elite. <laughs> like that's the icing on the cake for those people. Like they would still kick everybody's ass without them. You know what I mean? That's the crazy thing. Is like there's people who are so gifted that it's hard to understand until you have watched them in front of you in real life. Videos do not do those people justice. It really do, they don't it does not. Like I had this kid, I'm not saying he was the most like gifted kid ever, but I he was one of the ones who I think for sure could have been like a national track athlete um if, if he was more focused. He was like this, you know, uh it was during some summer uh, football practice stuff, and right before I started med school, I was helping out with the strength and conditioning, and I was having the kids do a bunch of stuff and like teaching themselves. And anyways, we're doing. They, I was watching them doing some drills, and this kid, every single time, like he was, his first step took him like it's seven or eight feet forward on sprints. It didn't make sense. I mean, it was like he had a rocket engine inside him, and he wasn't even trying, you know. And it was crazy, like watching him run and watching the rest of the kids. And there were some fast kids there. There were some kids who had legit like four, five, forties. And in high school, that's insane. Um, but this kid was like a four, three, and it was just like he didn't really try. Like he won the long jump just because he decided to show up. Like that's not normal. I don't care what you take. You can't be him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I and I I'm not one of those people. Manage those. Yeah, go on, Tom. I said I did a video a while back with Harry Aikens, who's a GB uh, Olympic sprinter. And he was like, just trying to calisthenics. Yeah, like probably a few years ago. Just a ra- literally a random video. He just dropped me a message and we were doing some flexibility stuff. And I was like, oh, do you want to try some calisthenics? So got him doing some basic stuff. And then got him to try a front lever. And he just busted out like a full front lever. Never trained it before in his life. <laughs> like, so he's like, is this, is this how you do it? <laughs> Man, he is the same guy that I've seen online doing cleans at 170 kilos. As yeah, man, he's just and his tech, his technique, like he's doing it, but his technique's a little bit off. But he's he's getting, he's just strong. He's racking the weights. (laughs) His his technique is being strong. (laughs) His technique is just being strong. That's all he needs. Yeah, Yeah. he's doing it. I mean, is is there much to say about people that have that genetic gift? 
um, in terms of how to scale your expectations. Like it, maybe it's more just, well, they got the skill quicker than someone else. Is it more about trying to manage the expectations of people that are not genetically gifted in any way? What so do you wait. think of that? And yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I, I have, so as you guys know, I love Planche, right? Planche is, the, I live for Planche. But I, I happen to be a mutant at from levers. So for me, this is very interesting. Um, I could, I, I, I had my front lever within a few months of trying. I, was, I just tried it a few times, boom, full front levers. I was one of those weird guys that could just get front lever. But I didn't care for front lever. I only care for planche. But that's interesting because when you think about expectations, that totally throws your world around. Because often full planche is compared with full front lever. They're like opposites. You know, that the one is the push, the one is the pull. And I would, I could never understand why people were struggling with from lever, and I, and I could never understand the why, it's, you know, those there, pe- there are people out there who can full planche, and there are people out there who, who can full planche, but not from lever. That made no sense to me. So for me, I had to learn um, that these expectations are different per person, and the best way to establish that, just like Josh mentioned, with uh, setting uh, to finding out your boundaries. In that six months of where you find out what your boundaries are, you're also that's also a great period of finding out what your um, expectations should be. And just like how Tom said, he, he uses 18 months to sort of find out where they are at with their tract. That's just a great way to find out how how is this person going to progress in certain areas. Some people are just mutants in some movements. Like, for example, Yuri van Gelder. Uh, made no sense to me. Uh, I, I was doing a front lever. He was like, I can't do that. I was like, dude. Dude, Yuri is so thick too. Yeah. Like when you see him and you, in when person, you see his lats, it's like, how, like how are you not able to fly? <laughs> like, how are you not flying with those lats? Just do this. You could probably fly. But he could not do a full front lever. And I couldn't, I didn't believe him. So I, I got mad. I was like, you're, you're, you're lying to me. This is not cool. I thought we were friends. So he did a full, full front lever. He tried. And you're shaking like a bitch. Like, <laughs> not going to lie. You're shaking. It, it was really hard. But if you look at his planche, easy. He never understood why planche was hard. And then he was, he was doing the cross. and said, how long can you hold that for? Probably half a minute, maybe a minute. That's a world record. I was like, do, do you know that the world record is 32 seconds? Really? Oh. That's, that's the thing. No, that's the thing. So expectations, it's, it's really different per person. Some people are pushers. Some people are pullers. Some people are good at jumping. Some people are good at running really long. And I feel like you don't understand this until you're a coach. Until you work yeah. with more people, yes. Because so you're like, so why are you struggling online with this? And writing, yeah, people online will write these comments and say things like that, and all I can read them, and I'll be like, yeah, you've clearly just like you've only ever trained yourself, and that's what you're basing this entire thing off. Like, hundred percent. It doesn't 100%. doesn't work like that, man. Mm. No, no. My my biggest fear with people like that is injuries, because. They, you know, usually those people, you know, we all talk about like muscle fiber type and blah, blah, blah. But really, you know, our muscles attach pretty close to the joints. So a very small change in the muscle attachment site is a very large change in the force you can produce in terms of the torque, you know. And so those things and when you look at like the research and like anatomy stuff where like for the Latin insertion, there's like a there's a mass of like some people have the center of the lat insertion i forget like i think like one point uh fuck i'd have to go look these up again but 
there's like a 200 percent difference like it's like it, it, i'm probably giving the wrong numbers out but like you know two centimeter like 1.6 centimeters versus like 3.3 centimeters from uh, a particular landmark like from the center of the joint and stuff and so it's like the, the there are people out there with two three times more leverage than another person at the same body weight and that's why some people are just absurdly stronger than others in some areas and this you is know? easier to see in like movements like deadlift for example you'll see people with long arms uh when they deadlift you, you, that's sort of that leverages on a different like this guy here like this, this guy tom <laughs> um you, you, that, it's more uh, it's you can clearly see it there but then now imagine that on a muscular level where rather than your bones being in different heights, there's also just how your, how your muscles attach just that difference already can, can like, I don't know how my lats look like. I really want to find out what's, what's happening yeah. because but you don't have huge lats and no, yet you have like monster pulling strength, like monster pulling strength. It doesn't make sense. Dude, my lats are, are puny math compared is math, to you. You know, we all, we're all victims of mathematics. Like, for better or for worse, and I would bet money that your insertions are really far out there, and that's okay. I mean, like it's not going to be that way for every muscle. That's okay. And, I just but hate you know, the scary before. things to me is the low leverage stuff. Like the things that don't really change are like you know the the things that are going to injure like as as your extensors go into the common extensor retinaculum and onto the uh, lateral epicondyle. Like that stuff doesn't really change a whole lot. The way that the bicep inter inserts into the radius, that doesn't change a whole lot. And that's those are the areas where people tend to get injured in calisthenics, you know. And those are the things where the stronger you are and the faster you grow, if you're not paced in certain things, then I think you run a really high risk of injury. And I know I've seen that in, in a couple of people. You don't run into these exceptional individuals too often. But um, I know a number of people, you know, who uh, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to mention names. Where there was this one guy who suddenly appeared out of nowhere. He was 18 years old and he was doing uh, 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 Maltese's on rings, and he had them within a year. And uh, yeah, yeah, this guy had it within a year, and he started DMing me. He was like, "Hey, it seems like you know a lot about the body." I was like, "Yeah," and then I checked his Instagram. I was like, "Holy shit, this guy is so strong!" And I said, "How long have you been training for?" Yeah, for about a year, and he was doing weighted full planches, etc. And his biceps were enormous. And uh, he was doing planche Maltese presses with about like 30 kilos each arm. Like he was, I was like, what What program are you following? He's like, I'm just, you know, adding weight. And then uh, a few months later, he just, his he deleted his account. And then a few years later, he got back and then I was like, hey, what happened? It's like, I got injured, man. My, my, uh, my biceps, they just tore. I was gonna, that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah, and that happened. He never he never recovered because this, he just got it all so easy. It just happened so fast, and it, his connective tissue never got the chance to attack. There's no warning. Yeah, there's People no warning. Understand. It's not like when you know you get sore from a workout and then you get more sore and more sore. That's not how that's not how these tendon ruptures go. Right. They just happen. They just. Yeah, my bicep tendon ruptured off of the radius uh, about I don't know a year and a half ago or something. I'd have to look at the calendar. And, um, that the, it just, you know, and it came from, um, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty strong even now. And, um, 
we, we just finished doing some construction work and I felt good and I was doing some barbell like um, planche Maltese uh, simulation stuff. And the problem with the barbell is that it puts you in a position to where you're, uh, you're really in bad leverage spot. Like you really can't stay slightly rotated in the way that you want to be to protect that attachment point. And, um, you know, I did a couple of reps and it felt fine and I did a couple more reps and then like on one of the reps it just felt like everything fell apart. It wasn't even like pain per se. I was just like, I know what happened you know and but the bicep didn't roll up i mean like it was still right where it was so i was very confused and i'm like what the hell and anyway my surgeon told me that essentially like everything was all scarred together so it didn't move and um and that's cool and now it's back where it belongs but one it hurts a lot to get that surgery and two what the hell was i doing i knew better i knew better but I did it anyway. The kind of thing that I told tell Yad not to do, the kind of thing that I, we tell all our people, like, I was the idiot. And it happens, you know? And um, it, th- those, are, those are scary moments because you don't get warnings. Yeah. I think everyone wants to be Goku. No one wants to be Master Roshi. Yes. Yeah. Plus, I'm getting older and, like, in my late 30s and, like, man, I don't feel any different day to day. But the... I, I don't have the tolerance for stupidity, apparently. <laughs> hey, um, my body slaps me. It used to laugh along with me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one more question for you guys, but I wanted to, like, we can start with Tom. Did you have any questions for anyone else in the group, Tom, while we are all together? I feel like I've been, uh, leading the conversation but i want to throw it over to you guys if you have anything to ask to the other <laughs> i actually don't i've been put on the spot now uh, yeah no i, I wasn't sure if i should just like go to tom go to josh go to phil I, I or just go, ask in general if anyone has any questions to ask anyone else i think i feel like i haven't heard from phil yeah okay so i want to know what was all your guys's worst injuries Oh, dude, why? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. I'll <laughs> tell you mine. My worst injury was tearing some muscles in my lower back. And, man, let me tell Mine's you, I really had no understanding or respect for, like, legit lower back pain until that mm. happened. And it wasn't that I was, like, trying to be a jerk. I just didn't get it. And, like, what happened to me was I rode from my girlfriend at the time's place down to school, which was, like, uh, 20 minutes. I was on my bike. So, you know, I'm, like, bent over doing stuff. And then I go to the gym, and I just did my uh, – it was squat day, so I did squats. And my literally, like, my very last rep on my last set of squats, it's a, it's a planned rep. Like, I'm not doing anything extra. I mean, it just felt like shit was ripping, and I was just, like, ah! And I just put the, you know, I let the barbell fall onto the safety racks and then I just kind of like rolled over and I was laying there for like 10 minutes and people are like, dude, you okay? And I'm like, no, but I'll be all right. I'm just getting it together. I definitely tore some stuff and this is probably going (laughs) to suck. So I went to the Georgia Tech gym that night with Daniel Burnham and um, he actually, I was like, hey, do you see any bruising back there? And he's like, yeah, man, there's already... So you have to understand that, like, if you've ever been in an anatomy lab and dissected anybody, like, the fascia in your lower back's like this. It's, like, almost a centimeter thick. Like, it's very thick. And I already had, like, some blood coming through that. So whatever I did, I don't know. 
Um, it was miserable. So the next day, I thought I was going to have to call 911 just to get out of bed. And I'm not making that up. Like, I went to bed, and I was afraid to move. It felt like there were angry people with their hands on my spinal column trying to each run away with a piece of it. It was awful. Dude. Like, that's the best way I can describe it. Never, I don't ever want to feel that again. I don't ever want anybody to feel that. Okay, yeah, that was terrible. I, I, I don't have anything to say, dude. <laughs> that was awful. I would say, um, I'll just jump in with mine because mine is lower back as well. Is, uh, I, again, I, mine's not been diagnosed either, so I don't know exactly what it is, but it is on the right side of my lower back, kind of like above the glutes, uh, maybe around where the spinal erectors are, but maybe a bit lower. And when I do a movement, this started in 2015, that involves hip extension. It can seize the back on the right side in that lower area. And it's almost as if everything just spasms and scrunches up. And it used to take a week for that to relax again. And now it takes wow. a few days, maybe four days with movement because I used to rest it. And now I find that walking, just getting some kind of movement helps to relax those muscles. Um, I don't know exactly what causes it apart from when it is something like Olympic lifting with hip extension, jumping, or flipping so it all involves that same opening up of the hips and because I'm kind of still on that journey the best advice I could give or what I've learned from that injury is to try to always have intention with your movement because I feel like whenever this happens it's when I'm not thinking about it and I'm perhaps using lazy technique to do these things so that's probably the best uh takeaway i have it from at the moment but the weirdest thing was this came on when i was learning middle splits and i think it had like again i don't know exactly what it was it was like i was training middle splits and the next day i woke up with it and my best guess is it's from uh trying to stay upright in middle split and coming down but the back is lower back is arching as i'm down in that position and that could have yeah, and you got that's ex- like the leg because it's so wide. This the sacroiliac joint is in that closed position. Mm. It's just like a real end range contraction if you're trying to hold a middle split. Yeah, so. you never had any kind of like um, brief post workout, uh, like almost point tenderness in the lower back. Um, I feel like I can. F- so the injury kind of just happens. Like I'll do because jumping, Olympic lifting. I mean, like b- before that first time. You never, you never um, had any like. It used to be 10, I used 15 to have minutes. Very, very similar, if not the same thing, from squatting, where I would be at the bottom of the squat and I would feel it, quote unquote, go, and then I would know for the next week I'd have a fucked lower back. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Tom, injuries. Oh man. Um, I've got. Well, I got two. My, the most annoying one was when I had. Uh, golfer's elbow and ulnar nerve compression oh. and that was that was just down to again trying to make gains too quickly like i'd probably been doing bodyweight training for like a year and i was trying to train for the one arm chin up and the one arm handstand at the same time despite the fact that i'd only been doing handstands i was nowhere near good enough to be doing it my my shoulder flexibility sucked and i was training one arm chin up three days a week and it was just like all of this torsion was going through the elbow um 
<laughs> and then it was, it was the point I was like, I was at the union, I was washing up dishes, and I was like, this is really painful to wash up dishes, man. Like, I, could, I can, I, yeah. <laughs> like, um, and I, it ended up, I, like, I couldn't do any upper body training for like eight or nine months after that point. It was, yeah, like, I, I literally, I was like, I was to the point where I had like a, uh, like a cable machine, and I was doing like five kilo single arm rows. That was like all I could do for like eight months. With, and it's it such a pathetic injury. <laughs> but, um, uh, it was like it's probably the most the one that set me back the most uh but the one that i was the, the least fun was only just back in november when i had a subluxation of my shoulder i was doing some meat hook work so it's like some single arm hangs where you sort of the, the circus yeah. stuff you kind of wrap your hand around your body and i was just like here chilling and i could hear my shoulder being pulled out the socket and i was like there was almost nothing that i could do about it i could just hear like the tendons and the and the, and the cartilage like <laughs> I was like, "Duh, oh, fuck, this isn't good." Oh, God. Um, so that was just, that. That wasn't even a bad injury. It just it was just really unpleasant yeah. to, to. Is happen. meat hook on the big five, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's on the free game side. <laughs> Definitely free games. <laughs> How about you, Yard? Uh fuck. Okay. Um. <laughs> so, I've had I have I had some I have, I've had injuries. Uh, not like Josh uh, or, or Tom or Philip. Oh, more actually, mine was very similar to Tom. The, the one I'm going to talk about it was in 2019. It kind of ruined my training year for the entire of t- 2019. I was doing really well. I was on top of my game basically, uh, but I was I was nearing the higher range of volume, and I started noticing that my um, this area around here, like tears minor, where the tricep, long head of the triceps, and where the lat all attach around that area. It started getting a little bit sore when I started doing pull-ups and overhead press work, and uh, it wouldn't go away. So I had to back off from from pull-up training, etc. And it got so bad eventually that I started also losing strength, and I got to the point where I could only do 10 kilo lap pull-downs without feeling any pain. So I went from during that cycle I was doing like 70 kilo attached like pull-ups for one rep to barely being able to pull 10 kilo, you know, excluding my body weight. So it's just 10 kilo, uh, which was terrible. And I, and I, had, I completely lost my front, uh, full front lever. I, I, I just couldn't do it, which is crazy because I've always been able to do front lever since the beginning of my training to now, nine years later, not being able to do full front lever. It was the weirdest feeling ever. And it took me many, many, many months to get over that one. And I think... The main reason for it was because the the injury was probably gone, but um, I focused on the pain constantly. So I, I would always do the movements and only focus on the pain and be like, oh, the pain is still there, so I'm not gonna keep I'm not gonna progress. And I would always use that as a measurement back then. And then uh, I learned uh, at some point I was I learned that it could just be me being paranoid, you know, me just, I'm probably just recovered and I'm just being paranoid right now. And so I started around the eighth month to just accept it. And I would use, um, I would use movement pattern and performance as a, uh, measurement to how, how, to how healthy I am rather than just the pain. I would not look at the pain. I would just look at how am I moving? Is are my shoulders moving properly? Uh, is, is the, uh, am I losing strength or am I gaining strength? 
and slowly it took me about six months to get back to the to the level I was. So it was about six months to eight months of not of being weak, <laughs> not doing like being really weak, not being able to do pull-ups, not not being able to do 10 kilo pull downs like just that to finally uh, six months to get back to my own level. So uh, which is actually pretty fast because we expected it to take a year or two to get back to that level that I was. So I was actually presently surprised surprised with that one. But that was uh, one of the worst injuries I've ever had. And it's such a shit of shit. It's, it's like a shitty injury. It shouldn't have happened. Hmm. They usually I, are, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I refuse to um, end this roundtable on an, a negative note. Can I add this on a positive yeah, note, right? Everyone who has had an injury in this group, probably now you're going to be not far from, or maybe you are, the strongest that you've ever been. Right. Right? Right now, despite the fact that you've had all of these, maybe I don't know about you, Josh. If you've got like a I'm almost weaker than I was on. in high school. <laughs> but I have some really awesome like, things my... in my life that I haven't had before. So, you know, I won't say yeah. that they cancel each other out, just... but you have to be, you have to focus on uh, the right things, or you can just be going down a drain for no reason. Yeah, I mean, there's the 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 book Iron John talks about wounds becoming wounds rebirth through injury and painful experience and lots of stuff i think like unless it's really really bad which doesn't tend to be the case with your average trainee like given given some good rehab and some good training there's no reason why you can't still reach the the high high level even with a handful of injuries because they do happen at the end of the day when you're pushing your body to your limit yeah that's the thing like i know that i'm gonna end up being strong again that's yeah all right, ending on a positive note, guys. What is one bit of information that you would give to the bodyweight community that you think would help to improve the whole, the community as a whole? Philip. Uh, definitely making sure that you don't get injured. No, just playing. <laughs> uh, it would be to make sure that you keep that idea of recovery in mind. Like, all like more doesn't equal more more doesn't equal better unless it actually is something that you can recover from so if you are doing extra workouts but you just keep noticing that your strength is declining with each workout and you keep hammering it in that might be a good sign that it's like time to like back off a little bit and maybe let yourself recover and see if those gains are coming back there <laughs> and I think it's like when people start to understand that, it's like, oh, okay, it's kind of like uh, if I was going to order a package off Amazon and I press the order button and then the package isn't there yet, but then I'm like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll press the order button again and again and again and again. <laughs> Working out is the same way. You got to wait. You got to like wait that. for the games to come. You got to wait for the package. That's now brilliant. I've got 10 flashlights at my door. <laughs> yeah, but I don't feel like that works, man, because you do get end up with a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of the same stuff. So, but you're broke. At least you have extras. <laughs> That's the one I would give. Josh. Sir, what, what would I, think? one piece yeah, of yeah, advice? What advice would you give? Don't, don't think that you have to work everything hard at the same time. Um, it's, it's okay to focus on one or two things and just do a little bit on the others to keep yourself, you know, happy and knowing that you're just kind of maintaining it. You know, I think that sometimes we get caught up in this idea that if we're not working hard, we shouldn't be working at all. 
And I think that really, that gets in the way, you know? Hmm. Tom. Oh, I just had a really good one that my mind went off and got distracted by something. I don't even know what. We can go to Yard. Oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, please, Dave. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> this one tip will get you planched in six months. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, no. Just remember, have to buy my program. Well, remember, so this is for the community. So it's also in between people. Remember why you're working out. Remember why you're doing calisthenics. Remember why you're doing bodyweight training. And, and that, that's basically it. Just remember why you're doing that. Sometimes mm. we get lost. Don't, don't make it into a religion. Or do make, make it a religion into something back. positive. Do make it a religion. <laughs> I want my dad to love me. <laughs> yeah, as, I mean, as Jesus long as you remember. The first to do cross. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, did you remember yet, or do you want me to give mine? I, I have, I have remembered. I have awesome. remembered. Go for it. Um, and it's kind of two parts. So it'd be basically a quote from um, my man Emmett, and it's uh, knowing is nice, but doing is better. And I think that that's just like, yeah, if you, if you, if you want to, whatever it is, like you can read about it all you like and try to come up with the perfect this and that. But most of the time, just, just doing the work is, is probably the best solution. Um, and, and understanding that that work is part of a lifetime endeavor and it's not always going to look the same or whatever but it's, it's always something that should be consistent like it doesn't really matter if you're going to get planched in six months you have the rest of your life to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve right you know if you want to do physical fitness is, isn't something that you do for six months it's something you do <laughs> if you want it, if you want to be planching at 70 you still need to be training planch at 70 yeah exactly don't don't worry about how fast you're getting there just make sure you're going in the right direction I yeah, think a lot of yeah, us would be bored if we hit them all. Like if we hit all our goals tomorrow anyway, it's like, what would we, what would we do? do, you know, do you know, yeah, do you know what, right? I, I trained <laughs> I two and a half years for one-arm handstand, and I was like, I was so in the grind, and I got one-arm handstand, and I was like, I'm bored now. What's next? <laughs> Dude, I had the same thing with Blanche. Six years, and I was like, what now? What's next? <laughs> <laughs> I got, yeah, I got, I got genuinely emotional that moment. I don't know about you, Tom. When you ha hit your one-handed handstand, oh, when oh, I man, when that happened, I was like, "It's happened." Ah, oh. like it felt I like cried. a great weight had been lifted. Yeah, I just sat there and I was like, "Oh my god!" Rewatched the video a yeah. few times. Yeah, I, same here. I cried. I, I straight up cried. <laughs> I just, I was like, "Whoa!" Because it's crazy. Because you, you're basically doing so much work every day to perform a move <laughs> if you think about it oh look i'm yeah. standing on one hand look at me kids that's all you're doing <laughs> so it's I, for something I, that's I, so I, irrelevant i thought i went nuts at that moment i was like yeah am i crazy is this why i did it <laughs> and then i sort of remembered no it, it, this is not the reason it's just the journey that that yeah. was that was the reason why i did this and then I wanted more. So that that's sort of, for me, that was the thing. But it's it's weird. When you achieve something you've been dreaming of achieving, it feels weird, man. You, hmm. you definitely got to remember, like, you know, like, the, the, the end, like, um, Daniel Kahneman from, like, Thinking Fast and Slow, I love that book. He, he talks about the experiencing self and the memory self. And, like, you know, the memory self is what you look back at. That's, like, looking back at, like, you know, how you felt about the plants. 
with the experiencing stuff, the person that you were being as you worked your way up to that plant every day, that was the part that you were enjoying. So, like, you, you enjoyed, I don't know how long it took you to, to do, but let's say, like, it was, like, you know, six years. You enjoy yourself for, for six years. That's, that's pretty good. At the end of it, you might have, like, you know, a midlife crisis where you're like, well, I accomplished it, so now what do I do? But at least you enjoy yourself for six years before yeah. you had that one moment. You know? You know? Like, it's, a good, it's a good trade. One Delaying moment of bad, like, midlife crisis for six years of fun, it's, it's a good trade. Totally worth it, man. <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. Is there any last words you guys want to add? Want to thank thank you for hosting Tyson, yeah, yeah, and thank everybody. You're this welcome. was great. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah was, I, I, I really enjoyed. So this. much fun, guys. I hope we, hope we can do it again. It was a blast. Yeah. yeah. Next time we we'll just have to start name dropping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get the views, right? Right. <laughs> start some internet beef. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, All right. Absolute pleasure, guys. Till next time. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Have a good one, guys. Thanks so much. Have a good one, guys. All right. See you, Philip.